right. Uh, hello, boys and girls. It's time for the Developer Hell podcast. Welcome to episode number five. And uh, yay, we've made it to five episodes, Ed. Yeah, that's pretty awesome, right? Uh, for those who are not familiar with the podcast, over in the one ear um, is uh, Chris Harchis, and on the other side is Ed Finkler. Say hi to the internet, Ed. Hello, internet. So we have a special treat for everybody. We have our first ever guest with us on the podcast. Uh, and this guest is uh, somebody who I met at the PHP Community Conference uh, last April in Nashville, Tennessee. And uh, I noticed he's made quite a comeback on Twitter in the last little while. He was kind of under the radar for a while, but he's come out of his shell. Uh, so uh, let's everybody say hi to Brian L. Moon. Brian, how you doing? Pretty good. Thanks for having me. Didn't know I was the first guest ever. That's you awesome. are the first guest ever. You beat out Elizabeth Naramore, who I couldn't uh, find, oh, wow. time, find time to talk to when I was at CodeMash because uh, one, right when I was about to talk to her, my wife uh, texted me on my phone and said, you better come to the water park if you want to be, uh, if you know what's good for you. So, you know, I, I had to do that instead. Uh, yeah, you're lost. Elizabeth's awesome. Yeah. So, so, uh, so, Brian, why don't you tell our listeners a little bit uh, about yourself and why you think we might want to talk to you? <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, yeah, I've been a web developer for uh, almost as long as there's been a web. So, um, I've been at uh, DealNews.com for uh, ooh, 13 years now. I guess I've been writing PHP for 14 or 15 years. Um, primarily, and um, I've uh, you know, I've seen a lot and done a lot, and uh, I'm guessing that's why you guys uh, want me on here. So, yeah, so I mean, I don't think a lot of people know about deal news, so why don't you tell a little bit more? I mean, I know that I got a great introduction to what you what you do there and, and some of the challenges that you face, but um, why don't you why don't you tell the people who don't know a little bit more about it? So, Deal News is a um, site uh, that uh, covers deals, bargains, and uh, discounts on tech products, soft goods, all sorts of whatever we can find great deals on. It's very timely. It's very much about what you know is hot today, and not about. It's not like it's not like a general price engine. You don't go there looking for a product. It's it's all about what's what's hot right now, what's available right now for a great price. It's it's sort of a um, uh, impulse buy kind of kind of thing, um, and uh, uh, it was started by uh, two good friends of mine that I knew when I was younger, and I was employee number three there. And um, we started it in in 1997, and uh, I came on full time in 1998 after working part time for him for a while. And uh, you know we've we've made it through the uh, the, the, the bust of the dot-com era and, and grown and grown and grown and grown. We, we grow typically 40 to 50% in traffic year over year, every holy, year. So you can fuck, figure that's a lot of traffic. Yes. Yeah, so you can figure exponential, you know, growth is pretty, pretty key. Um, during the holiday season, which is our key season, we make compete.com's top 1000 sites. Um, so it's, it's, you know, our, our we, we, we basically are planning for a peak every year, which is that uh, every year at black Friday, we, We'll see um, the biggest day ever we've ever had, ever. Um, and wow. so we, we basically plan every year for that. <clears throat> and uh, a lot of our capacity planning and, and things and features all go into being ready for that time of year. Um, so uh, it's, uh, um, you know, it's a lot of fun. And uh, um, 
you know, seen lots of things and grown the site over the years, basically growing the same site over the, over the years is its own challenge. Um, you know, we, we have a particular problem. It's not, that's not the solution for everyone's problem. Um, but, um, cause we're mostly a content site. We're not heavily user generated. Um, so that, that gives us some opportunities to, um, <clears throat> do some things that user generated sites can't necessarily do. Um, every, every page request is not a special flower like Facebook, um, <laughs> or Twitter or that kind of thing. Um, we, we get to reuse a whole lot of the same content for different requests. Um, but, uh, but it still, you know, has its challenges, and, and we we we've um, we've adapted and, and we move fast, and we're very agile with little a, um, and uh, and and can can make changes uh, as needed to to you know handle whatever we need uh, to handle. Um, would, would you say that Deal News is like one of the sort of? I mean, this is the impression I get that Deal News is probably one of the more larger trafficked uh, PHP powered sites. Cause I, I mean, I don't know what deal news perception is with, uh, with uh, among other people, but the impression I get after having uh, spoken to you about some of this stuff last year that, you know, you guys are, you know, a lot of traffic is cranking through your site and it's, uh, is it all mostly PHP? Like what other technologies are you using uh, behind the scenes? Well, we use yeah, we use Apache, PHP, MySQL. We're pretty still old school lamp stack in that regard. Memcache, uh, Gearman. Um, one of the things that makes us unique as far as our use of PHP is we actually wrote our own proxy server using PHP instead of using Squid or Varnish or anything like that. Yeah, I remember you uh, uh, telling me about that in Nashville. Yeah, yeah, it gives us some advantages. We can do our our PHP uh, session inspection in the in the proxy and make, make changes to the actual application server request in the proxy server based on PHP sessions. Um, we can also, you know, what, what happens is, um, you build a team of PHP developers and, and, and then you need to write a proxy server and, um, you know, you have a hammer and, uh, <laughs> <laughs> you use it and it, it works really well for us. Um, it, uh, I mean, if you just put us on a pure speed test versus, versus varnish or something, yeah, they're, they're probably going to be faster, but there's some of the things that we do with our proxy that, they can't do like we actually use Gearman to facilitate the uh, connection between the proxy servers and the application servers. So we get deduplication there, where um, if there's 20 requests coming into proxy servers, they're all for the same content. Uh, we run that through Gearman so that um, only one actual application server request is actually made to actually generate the content, um, and uh, it also gives us a a, um, a we, we can sort of uh, control the the can control the load that our application servers see by limiting our number of gearman jobs, the gearman workers that are available, and that will let us, uh, uh, you know, sort of control the load on our application servers, thus controlling the load on our database servers very yeah, well. With and, and, and you just get and basically what happens is when you get loaded there and, and you start having backup in the gearman layer, you just get latency. You don't get denied requests or that kind of thing. So. Um, so we're using PHP all the way through, you know, from the proxy server to the application server, um, and the Gearman workers that we run, uh, uh, you know, are using PHP. So um, <clears throat> it's not that we are. I mean, we have some things written in Python, we have some things written in Ruby, um, but uh, as far as the front end web stack goes, it's 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 dominantly PHP. Yeah, that's. Uh, I remember when you. Uh spoke to me before about the proxy thing i thought that was because uh, it would have i mean it would have never occurred to me to try and write a proxy in php but of course you hit the 
you know, you hit it right on the head by saying you have a bunch of PHP del- developers and you need to build something, and you have the hammer that is PHP. So in the one sense, it, it seems to be seems to me to be totally logical that you would try to implement that in uh, in PHP, especially if like existing solutions. Like I don't know when you built this thing, but I mean, I'm sure I'm probably sure that Squid was around too, but probably didn't fit exactly the stuff that you needed, needed it to do, right? So the first proxy server we wrote was about five years ago. <clears throat> Um, and I, I evaluated Squid at the time. Varnish didn't exist yet. I evaluated Squid at the time, and um, uh, there's a couple things I didn't like about Squid. Its cache was per instance. There was some there's some weird shared cache that you can set up with Squid, but it's really complex and really hard. Um, and I was reading through the Squid documentation at the time, and, and it was a line in the Squid do- documentation that said Squid's primarily primary purpose is to be a forward proxy. You can use it as a reverse proxy, but it is not the primary focus of this project. And I was like, okay, I want a reverse proxy. I really don't want something that the primary focus of the application is not to be what I want it to be. Um, so combined with those two things, I was kind of like, well, let me just, you know, we really wanted to use memcache for our caching because we really only wanted one copy of a, a piece of cache. You know, we really didn't want to have five proxy servers that all had their own version of our front page. Um, so, um, you know, we, we, we set out to write that first one in um, PHP, and uh, we uh, uh, used Apache. And we actually, we, I, to be fair, we actually, we actually evaluated ModPerl and Python at the same time. And um, what we found was that ModPerl is, is way faster than PHP until you brought Memcache into the mix, and the same with Python. Um, and that basically came down to uh, the memcache libraries for those two languages were written in the native language, whereas P- the PHP memcache interface is written in C. Right. And so you 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 had um, you you had this 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 great speed boost when it came time to start moving like a megabyte of data in and out of memcache, because um, our our HTML for our front page can be huge because it's everything we found today, which could be four hundred different products. And um, so it, it became it became a huge thing to move that much data in and out of memcache uh, for Perl and Python. Um, so it turned out it just I mean we really did give an honest evaluation that we wanted to make sure we were using whatever was going to be best. And, and it turned out front top to bottom for for our stack PHP was the best solution for what we wanted to do. Um, so you fast forward a few years and we start having these other problems and. Uh, uh, we wanted to get Gearman into the mix, and you know, and, and w- w- as far as our web stack goes, and um, you know, at that point, we we already knew about uh, the you know the, the memcache uh, advantages when it came to PHP, and it was just a natural thing to um, just you know write again, write it in, in PHP. So, yeah, one thing I wanted to ask you about because I know your uh, heavy use of Gearman at, D- at Deal News, and I know that you've You've blogged and, and talked on Twitter about Gearman, and I, like I said, I was trying to solve a particular problem uh, at Moontoast using Gearman. And one of the things I've wondered is that, given all your use of Gearman, do, do you feel like there's almost uh, like a optimal use pattern for Gearman? Like when you looked at my my problem with Gearman was that I was I was wanting it to uh, give me back. Uh, status messages via messaging. I was looking for some easy way without having to involve other pieces into the system because the problem, I think I spoke to you about this before on Twitter where the problem was yeah. that we're, tr- we're trying to do, uh, you know, we're trying to do some transcoding of, um, of uh, MP3s and copy them to different places and make a preview of it. And the problem we had was that uh, since our, our, since our database is up on, 
up on Amazon on RDS, sometimes we would get that lovely MySQL has gone away message with with, uh, with no warning, and then the GearMan worker would just crash. So, you know, we had two problems. Well, we had three problems, right? MySQL going away, the inability in PHP to easily trap um, fatal errors, and no way for GearMan to message back to our system easily that something has gone wrong with the job. So that got me to thinking um, in preparation of, of talking with you. If you think there's kind of like an optimal, I don't know, maybe usage pattern for using GearMan, can you understand what, understand what I yeah, can do? Yeah, I, I see what you're saying. Yeah. You, you have to really sort of put GearMan in its place when it comes to what it can do and what it doesn't do. Um, very much like Memcached is, is sort of the same thing. People, people sort of, get a hold of these 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 dango tools it's something about the dango tools um dango interactive which is who created memcache and and and, and created the gearman protocol and those things um brad fitzpatrick had a real sort of um simple componentized view of how to build infrastructure and <clears throat> memcache is really the actual daemon itself is really just a stupid key value store Right. It doesn't really, there's no load balancing stuff. There's no sharing within the daemon. There's no knowledge about it. You know, the, the, the way the LRU cache works is I'm just going to hang on to crap. And, and if you ask for it again, then I'll check to see if it's expired. I'm not going to do any garbage collection. You know, it's a really, really simple, simple, fast, efficient daemon. And Gearman is, the Gearman protocol works sort of the same way. It's not really about having any knowledge about what work is being done. All it knows is this is a job ID and here's a payload. Find me somebody that knows how to do this job and send them the payload. And when they're done, let me know. There's, you know, it's just really, really simple, um, dumb daemon in that regard. It doesn't know what the payload is. It doesn't care what the payload is. It doesn't care what the application is. It's just a, a, a worker's connecting to me and saying, I know how to do job X. Give me payload. I'll do job X. And that's, that's all that Gearman does. And it's 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 simple but very efficient at what it does, and um, so if, if you if you want to you know it, it it can be a little frustrating if if you want to have more knowledge about what's going on inside your jobs um, that you know you have to sort of build something on top of it to to work with that kind of stuff. I mean, for us, most of how we use Gearman <clears throat> falls into uh, one of two categories. Um, it's either background jobs. Where um, let's say a writer on our for our, on our content team changes an article, and uh, we need to update that article on the site, um, we fire a Gearman job with that article ID as the payload, and um, it's a background job. It's a fire and forget job, and it happens, you know, and it goes into the queue, and and whenever you know uh, that that work comes up, it goes to the worker. The worker grabs the article out of our backend system, and then pushes it forward to our front end servers. And uh, updates any anything that needs to be updated regarding uh, that article. Uh, it may fire off some other daisy chain jobs, you know, like firing off email alerts or that kind of thing um, <clears throat> from within that job. But it's it's very sort of fire and forget. Um, and we do we do that for making changes on our back end that need to affect the front end. We do that for for um, all of our all of our all of our logging from our front end. Like when somebody clicks on an article, and we want to log that. Um, that goes to a Gearman job that will eventually make it into a database server. So that, um, number one, the, the user is not waiting on something to be written to disk or something to be written to a database server. And number two, it can be fired into Gearman and can be gotten to whenever the servers that are logging that data have the resources to actually log it. But it's not 
um, potentially lost in the process. Yeah, yeah, because um, yeah, I'm I mean, I, looking at our particular situation with Moon Toast. I've really come to the conclusion that I am going to have to do pretty much exactly what you said integrate something else into the system where as the yeah. job pr- progresses, I'm going to basically mark somewhere how far the thing has gotten. And then with a little bit of uh, Ajaxy goodness, we'll add something to the user's little dashboard inside the admin panel that tells them everything that's been updated and stuff that's still pending. And yeah. hopefully if we get enough time, we'll, we'll add some code that allows people to like restart the import because I mean, we, I mean, that's, that's basically all I was looking for is that we have to find a way to let people know that this, uh, this background job that we're running has failed and there's something that they need to do in order to, uh, to initiate it again. So yeah, we we had written we we'd um we'd written a system here, a sort of experimental thing we we did, um and we basically had to, yeah, build an entire job sort of um database that would keep track of what jobs and 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 Gimmerman was really just the facilitator for finding a daemon to do work, not actually doing any job tracking. I mean, and that's really what it it's meant to do. It's really just meant to have. It's it really is. I think it was Joe Stump who, at the time, was at Dig and has been at Simple Geo and and things since. He said that um, Gearman really is just a, a a big awesome way to fork. That's really all it is, <laughs> right? It's just yeah. a really awesome way to fork, you know. And if if you can if you can think about it that simply, that all this is doing is taking my work and moving it somewhere else that is more available or better has better resources to do the job. Um, then, then if you can keep it in that context, then you'll understand, okay, then all that application stuff I need to know, I still have to write that stuff. Um, you know, it, it, I'm just moving resource usage from here to there. Yeah. And, and yeah. especially for a, a site that's as content heavy as deal news, it totally makes sense that you guys would be all in on the use of background processing jobs. So I mean, I do like Gearman, but you're right. I've, I've encountered one scenario where Gearman's strengths become a limitation uh, in terms of like how of making it a good experience for the user. I mean, like I said, it's 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 one of these things where I know now what I have to do to get the desired effect. It's just one of those things where where I have to poke so many little holes in the application and add so many things. It uh, it will be very interesting to to test it if it ever comes to fruition. So Ed, you've been very very quiet. I am. I'm just listening. <laughs> um no it's uh i think it's really interesting to hear this stuff i think that uh it's easy for uh us to get kind of caught up in sort of new technologies and and uh you know new uh languages or approaches and things like that and it's interesting to hear um some of the challenges that you're you guys have and the ways that you've dealt with them um i wonder uh, you know, you've talked about, uh, you talked about that you're still using a pretty traditional stack, like LAMP stack, right? Right. And I'm interested to hear your, I guess your general thoughts on, you know, there's certainly a tendency for people to kind of get into the, the hot new thing, you know? Um, right. and like, like, uh, you know, and I'm wondering about if you guys have a general approach to like how you, do you like look at and toy with and evaluate that, you know, say uh, uh interesting new technology. I don't know. Let's say talk, that's, that's some people have started using like Mongo or, 
Redis or I don't know, uh, you know, have you, you know, we, we talked about this in a little bit in the context of like, have you guys messed with node or anything like that? And I'm in, I guess I'm interested sort of in general thoughts of like how you, you know, that there's that pull, at least I know I feel it of like, I want to try new stuff. And I think it's part of being a like developer and really enjoying that, that kind of thing. And it is new yeah. ways of solving those kinds of problems. And they're not necessarily better. They're just new. You know what I mean? Right. So sure. I'm interested yeah. to hear what your thoughts are, kind of on that and that topic in general of of like yeah. So we've we've um, we actually have some Node running um, uh, for uh, there's a uh, package that the Etsy guys wrote called StatsD, which you may or may not be. Oh um, yeah, I've yeah. Uh, yeah I've heard of StatsD. Yep. So basically, what it is, it's it 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 um it it pumps data into uh, Graphite, which is a which is a really cool graphing. Uh, Damon, um, but you just pump data in there and, and, and pumping data into graphite can be a little tricky, but stats D kind of, kind of fixes all that for you. And, um, so we're running stats D here. And, uh, so we're running node for that. And, uh, we've, we've done some looking into node, um, for some possible internal things, uh, mostly, mostly for internal communication stuff. Um, the thing about invented stuff like node is whatever you're doing, it has to be like really few milliseconds because, um, the stuff aren't this, it's not multi-threaded. It's just invented. Um, it still blocks, right. While it's doing whatever work it has to do. Um, so it has to, it has to, whatever work you're doing has to be able to get done in a few milliseconds or you kind of start losing all the advantages of having this invented daemon. Um, if you if you start having a, a code that runs for like ten seconds, well during that ten seconds you just have connections piling up with new requests. Really? Um, to an invented name. Yeah. Well, because I mean, right. I mean, I'm just starting to get into Node just because I figure it's something that I need to you know learn about and understand its strengths and weaknesses. And everything that I read about Node seems to imply that what you're talking about isn't can be a problem sometimes, but isn't necessarily a problem provided you structure your application in such a way. Because the, the impression that I get, and this may be totally wrong, is that when you're doing something in this invented style, it's very clear that you have that there are ways to write the application in such a way that it can block, but that everything in Node pushes you towards not doing anything that blocks. Well, okay, th- th- that very well be true. And that, that kind of comes back to my other sort of, I guess the thing is there's no magic bullet, right? So if you want to change your entire like design of your program and and uh, you have to really do you do really have to buy into whatever whatever sort of philosophy your system is going to go with right and so when you're when you are in that invented um see only the, the self is non-blocking so once you're done like outputting from node the actual io that's going out at the kernel level or whatever that's, that's not blocking anymore but whatever codes actually you're running there to generate the output will block i mean it is not multi-threaded it is single threaded there's only you know there's only one thread so anything that's not output or input is still going to block right, right. so it's that's just a, that's the same thing how you, it works that's the same thing you have in the browser, um, where if you do a bunch of right, stuff, the JavaScript in the browser, right? If you, I mean, so if you do something that is more complex, it hangs the whole thing because if you're waiting on a query that takes three seconds, it doesn't really matter if you're using a minute or not, right? Right, right. Yeah. your host and you're blocking, <laughs> right? Or if you're doing, um, if you know, you're doing a bunch of calculation in it, 
it will right. it'll still hang the thing because it's it's right. still a single thread for the uh for the yeah for the V8 or whatever you're using. Right. I mean, they're just putting the V8 engine and they're just tying it to Lab Event, right? So Lab Event is a non-blocking IO library for for Linux and then whatever it is on on BSD, uh, I forget what the library is called there, but um so it, you're just you're just getting the the benefits of the non-blocking IO. Um but any work you actually do, and, and you can do this in PHP. I actually wrote an invented server. Um, you, li- there's live event hooks for PHP. You can actually write yourself a an invented sort of. You can you can write an invented uh, non-blocking IO daemon in PHP using the live event uh, peckle extension. And to that, um, I say, and to that I say, why on earth would you do that? Well, but <laughs> it, 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 it's a very good experience in, in figuring out what is and is not block. Because what I found was the daemon was really cool until I put a, a program in there that slept for a second. Um, and when I, as soon as I did that, I started getting requests that wouldn't get an answer. Well, wow, that's interesting that all it took was uh, – uh, I mean, I know to a computer a second. Well, I mean, I was, I was like I running know, Siege against it. I was running Siege against it, you know, a thousand right. concurrents or something, right? Right. But, that, that, yeah, that's interesting that all it takes is, uh, is sleeping for a second to bring kind of the whole – the whole uh, system crashing down. Now, I am not a node expert in how the philosophy of writing a node program works. So there may be certain philosophies that, that lead you towards a, a, a method of design when you're writing a node daemon that make it so that you're not ever doing anything that lasts that long. Right. Um, but I mean, I'm my I myself are just really in the early days of understanding notes. So it's it's a, it's it is interesting, and I find it's a very different uh, paradigm, especially for people who come from the kind of procedural scripting world, where you kind of expect everything to happen in a particular sequence. And I find that with node stuff, until you really understand the callbacks and how and how things are all being triggered, uh, especially when you start getting into stuff like. Um, some of the early tutorials that I did are stuff like, you know, uh, create an event and then have someone that listens for the event and then, you know, does something based on having received that signal. And to try to do that sort of stuff in PHP is very non-intuitive. And so, you know, in, and then when you couple it with JavaScript, which is a language I'm like kind of familiar with, I'd say I'm still kind of in that beginner working towards intermediate stage. I look at that and I go, wow, this just, it, it, I look at it and say, this looks just as bad as the spaghetti PHP code that I complain about all the time. Yeah, yeah. all the um, all the closures and, and anonymous functions that JavaScript people love, I find very, um, very non-intuitive in, for me personally. But I, that's just me. Some people relish in that stuff. And, well, what about, what about you, Ed, since you're probably the most experienced JavaScript uh, guy here? That's a sad statement. Well, no, um, not that no. the bar, not that the bar is set very high. No, no. Uh, um, so, I think that it's something that you get used to, but it's something, and I, I think it's like anything, you get used to it because your brain gets used to thinking that way. But it's not like it's it was intuitive at first, and I I, I mean it was months and months of like really getting into it where you sort of start understanding a little better and it sort of starts to make sense more. But um, I think that it is problematic with when you you have everything running asynchronously. Um, it's it, it can get out of hand quickly when it starts cascading. 
and you have like an asynchronous call to an asynchronous call to an asynchronous call, and you have this nesting that can happen. Um, that can be problematic. There's ways of dealing with that where you can essentially write out stuff in a like in a linear fashion, and it can. Uh, but it's it's sort of a thing with the language. Like the language, in a sense, doesn't adapt to that extremely well. Like it's not built into it where you they don't have like a a thing built into it to do stuff like promises where you can write basically you can write stuff kind of in a linear way, but it doesn't actually fire the uh, the function where you say okay on you know when this event happens execute this function. It doesn't fire it until that actually like the first thing calls back, which it's impossible to just explain in words. I'd actually have to show you. But anyway, the point is, yeah, it takes a while and it's very different. Um, and yeah, I mean, I've, yeah. I, I'm not familiar, familiar with Node, but I've, ever, I've written tons of JavaScript. Sure. Um, and, and, and yeah, the, the JavaScript in general, it, it takes a different mindset when I'm writing JavaScript than when I'm writing PHP. And it, it's, it is a little hard if I'm working on a project where I have to go back and forth. Right. Um, luckily, yeah. usually, when I'm in that case, I'm usually just writing simple sort of uh, AC, uh, s- uh, simple AJAX servers. Right. So the actual server code is pretty, pretty, pretty straightforward in the PHP side. I'm not writing complex PHP, yeah. and when I'm writing, you know, really complex JavaScript. I think the thing that I think what I go coming back more to PHP after I was doing a ton of JavaScript. Um, I think what I find is I really miss like the, a lot of the flexibility I have with JavaScript, especially in terms of like compositing objects and um, and the functional nature of JavaScript is really really useful and powerful. And a lot of times PHP feels really clunky in that respe- regard. You know, like there's a lot of stuff I kind of wish I could do that I can't do in it. Now. Like what? Like- um, I think what I often find is um, let's see. Yeah, it's funny. You put me on the spot where I'm like, well, what are you talking about, Dick? <laughs> right? Prove uh, it. Uh, Prove yeah. It. Uh, so, <laughs> so, okay, here's one thing I wanted to do. Um, I, uh, so there's there's some stuff for some kind of functional uh, stuff in PHP where you can, uh, you know, you can assign a uh, function to a variable, so it makes it actually behind the scenes. I guess it makes a closure class or a closure right. object. Excuse me. So that's new. And right. in PHP five point four, they've added some new stuff where you can like bind the, uh, you can bind um, things to a particular object, so you can set the context that it's going to execute in and stuff like that. And that's pretty useful. But you could there's like lots of places you can tell where. This is clearly sort of an afterthought. Like this is this stuff was oh, sure. very much tacked onto it because yes. like I wanted to do a thing where I ran into a case where I wanted to um, take an object property and assign a function to that. Right? Um, yeah, that doesn't actually work. It uh, it it will say I can't remember what it is now, but you can't call you can't assign like that function you can't assign a function to an object property and then call it that way what i what you can do yeah you have to you have to copy it to a regular variable right annoying. right and and that's one of the things about that i like about javascript is that because it's so fully baked into the language you can do, yeah. just all that stuff that you sort of like well this implies that it actually works right like a function is a completely first class thing so you can pass it as arguments you can assign it to anything you want to it's an object itself so 
you know, that's really nice. And when you get used to that kind of flexibility you have, it's kind of hard to go back to this and you find where it's like, like to work around that. I think what I ended up doing was if you assign it to a, um, if you, if you have an array, that's a property on that object, you can then assign the functions, the closures to keys in that array. <laughs> and then you can do something like you can set up a call thing where, okay, that function doesn't exist. So look it up in this table basically. And then you can call it that way. <laughs> but, uh, I, I mean, it's stuff like that where I, I miss that sort of, I miss that flexibility you have with it. Um, I miss right. being able to like just on the fly, like assign, like do things like assign, um, you know, functions to to properties of just arbitrary objects and stuff like that, and pulling things together that way. Um, I'm not a big fan of the uh, like um, a lot of the stuff. It seems like where you have to kind of set up a lot of things in advance to do uh, the object oriented approach in PHP. It feels kind of a lot like java and i'm not a huge fan of that i guess i prefer the what i think is kind of a simpler approach that javascript has with that kind of thing but honestly i have no notes in front of me so i'm probably saying a bunch of stuff that i sound like an idiot so no i i know what you mean as far as php's object system was unfortunately i think heavily influenced by java people Right, um, which seems there were very people, odd to me. There were people who yeah. there were people who well, there were people who didn't give a crap about objects in PHP, right? And there were people who hated Java, right? Who wanted objects in PHP, right? And they only hated Java because they were forced to work with it somewhere. And so uh, I, I'm being completely giving my complete opinion here, by the way. Right. Oh, we um, love how, of how of how, of how I re- of how I remember it, right? Um, you know, it, it just seemed like. There was a whole lot of you know in Java they do blah and so we should do blah and 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 then so some people go I hate Java and so they go I'll let you do half of it you know or, you know it just kind of right. it seems like that's the way it was developed right it was like I hate Java so we're only going to do the half of Java I like or I don't know and um, but then there was a whole world of us out there who had been using PHP for years already and was like objects Psh, who cares I don't know shit works for me so. Right. Yeah. Um, I yeah. I don't know. It's uh. I, so I we, th- we have we hire some we hire some guys uh, who who were big Python users before they came to work for us, and right. we have the debates about classes and objects all the time. And they swear the reason I hate classes is because of PHP. Their ass in PHP. But I keep telling them that I used them long before that, and I decided I didn't like them <laughs> long before I used PHP, and long before PHP had classes. Right. Yeah. Uh, I, I personally do find uh, how Python um, does classes to be uh, a lot simpler, and you and and the reason it's simpler is because for the exact thing that you forced. talked, it it, it, av- <laughs> it avoids well well in in Python has avoided clearly the Java Javification of uh, objects. So I just me personally, I just find the way that Python because I'm a I'm a closet Python guy anyway. So um, oh, I wish I could use it all day long and. Uh, just I found the way that they implemented classes kind of resonated better with me than uh, than what PHP does. So the PHP just kind of accepted that's the overhead and that's the baggage associated with having to uh, if you're going to use objects in any way, shape, or form in PHP. So the next question I had for you, Brian, was that given that you guys have been using PHP for so long, 
what are some things what are some things that uh, pop out into your mind that changes that you saw occur in the language that made things uh, that allowed you to do certain things easier in the deal news code base? Um, like, were there any like light bulb moments where like, oh, PHP finally, PHP has this particular, um, uh, you know, we can do X with P in PHP now, and therefore that makes certain code that we had written like uh, we could refactor it a lot easier to take advantage of these new features. So yeah, so our code base started in well, well, our first code base started in '97, but we in 2000 we went went we basically just started from scratch and. We haven't really started from scratch since it has evolved. Um, and but about two and a half years ago, we decided that its its evolution had taken it a bad direction, and so we decided to start <clears throat> refactoring certain parts and um, heavily. And um, th- th- one of the biggest wins for us was. Um, uh, which I, I know some people hate it, but um, it, it was auto loading. Um, being able to auto load, I, it, we have tons of classes now, but a, a lot of them are just static classes that we, we 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 create static functions, and so they're basically function libraries rather than actually being true classes. And um, but but it lets us auto load. We, we were we were um, a bunch of old C guys when we started, and and. You know, in C, you include everything at the top of your header file and, and include everything at the top of your C files. And so our PHP looked that way. Um, so you have 20 includes, right, at the top of your PHP script. And you'd have 20 functions in this in this function library. And everything was very, very, very C-like. You know, you had, like, strings.php and you had, you know, all this stuff, right? We Our, our library was full of all these these code libraries for for, you know, you had articles.php. You had all this stuff. No, almost no objects because when objects, number one, when this code base started, PHP didn't have objects. And then when PHP 4, when they added them, they were horribly slow and created tons of overhead. So we didn't even adopt them then. Um, and so uh, what, we've, what we realized, though, is I would include a file so I could call one function and that one function didn't need any of the 20 includes that were in that file, but dadgummit, we included those 20 dadgum files. Um, and and what a couple of things would happen there. Number one, you're including a whole bunch of files you don't need. Um, and number two, uh, you would inadvertently break things that way um, by changing a function, and 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 it, you know, it just sort of like what would happen was. You would you would need a function in a file. If file, file A would need to call function X, so it would include file B. And somewhere along the way, file B would include file C that had some function in it. And then back in your file A, you would just randomly call some function that's in file C without actually realizing it wasn't already included. And so, fast forward two years later somebody would change file C and look for any files that included file C, not finding file A and file A now is broken because it didn't actually explicitly include file C. And so the, all those includes that, 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 that nastiness of all those 
includes just was 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 really biting us in the butt when we started. Oh, home. I'm I'm with you doing a lot of. On, you you follow what I'm saying? The, yeah, I'm with you on yeah. the auto loading uh, bandwagon. I mean, now I, I'm 100 percent with you. There's there's no reason to use include or require for getting code. I mean, it's just even if you don't want to go all in OOP or um yeah OOP, just make all your functions static members of classes and call them that way because then you can still use auto loading and all the benefits of auto loading um and and it you don't have to mess with all those includes and you don't have to include files till you need them and um you know that just that that was a that was a pretty big pretty big win for us um as far as something that that changed that let us kind of redo how we did our our code base um it also made it more explicit as far as what <clears throat> I'm calling a function. Where does that function exist? Right. I know if it's, if it's, you know, article colon colon some function name that it's in the article.php file. Right. Whereas before, if I had a function called article URL safe string, right. So it's dealing with articles, it's dealing with URLs and it's dealing with a string and if you go to our code library, there was an article.php, a urls.php, and a strings.php. So which one of those files is that func- function in? Yeah. Right? And my breaking point was when it took me 10 minutes to find a function, and I, I eventually I just started grepping. I should have just grepped to begin with, but I knew it had to be where I thought it was. <laughs> so I kept looking and looking and looking, and I couldn't find the daggum thing. And I was like, okay, this includes stuff, and these function names just aren't working anymore. We, we're gonna have to we're gonna have to adapt and and, and change here. So, um, chalk up a victory for auto loading. Yeah, yeah, auto loading was um, and there's no and people keep trying to do auto loading of functions and there's just no way to do auto loading of functions. It just doesn't. It requires yeah, I do, I do like your, and, Yeah, I I do like your idea of that. If you are going to stick heavily, if you have a big investment in in uh, in uh, procedural stuff like that, that the idea of, of putting, of just creating static objects with those calls. Uh, I mean, I do, I do that sort of thing uh, all the time in our code base. I look very carefully at whether do I need a full, do I need the full overhead of the object or can I just create a static thing and stick my function in it, especially if I don't have to pass any parameters or anything. Yeah, I mean, a lot of time you're just like, yeah, you're just taking a URL and like adding a query string argument to it. Yeah. I don't really need a URL object for that. You know, yeah. I just, oh, I, that's I just my, that's my view of, of, of how, of how things are. And okay, we, so, we work with, yeah. go ahead. No, go ahead. I'm sorry. I interrupted you. Go I, ahead. We, we work, our front end especially works heavily with sets and not objects. You know, we, we pull back rows from a database and they're in an array and we just need to manipulate the data in the arrays rather than creating new objects for every row of data we get back. Um, Ultra. so static, static functions really yield, yield itself much better to that methodology than than you know going all objects um because it's it just i mean it's just way slower <laughs> to make an object for every one of those rows yeah no i i understand i mean i have fooled around i mean in the in the book about testing that i did i mean i did show people a sample of doing a data mapper thing where we're taking uh result sets out of a database and then creating a unique uh object out of each row and that was more not just because that's uh, more be uh, more as an exercise to show people how to build things like that and how to test them. 
but I can definitely see when speed is of the essence, yeah, uh, since uh, the number one most supported data type in PHP is the array, there's no reason to move away from PHP's right. strength in manipulating arrays. So yeah. you mentioned auto-loading. So what, what other features came along? Uh, can you think of another one that gave uh, Deal News a leg up on, on just trying to keep what is obviously a very unwieldy code base? Because no code base that, uh, I mean, you're talking about you you did a rewrite 10 years ago, and now you're at a point where a couple of years ago you start to refactor. So the selective refactor kind of has its own perils as well. So can you talk a bit about some other stuff that's come along in PHP that has made your ability to refactor stuff easier? Um, I mean, it sounds like auto load was like really a big one in 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 terms of like how well you know just help, helping auto load get a better yeah. get a better mental map of how everything is put together. Yeah, auto loading and and just the 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 um. A whole lot of the uh, not object oriented stuff, but the 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 features that classes have, like like all the you know, like having static functions that are clearly defined as static, and having you know um, uh, static variables uh, for functions, uh, you know that uh, you know static uh, you know private you know you, you can have static private member variables to a function now, so. You can have some sort of state within, even within the, the static context. Um, you know, class constants, which I think those were in there pretty early on, but but not at the very beginning. Um, you know, sort of help because uh, we actually we auto load constants uh, by by attaching them to a class, um, which I, I blogged about that. Um, you know, if we want to, if we want, we have a constant for the the publication ID for Deal News within our publication system, and to get that, it's pub colon colon Deal News, and that auto loads the file that has those constants in it, um, so we don't have to explicitly include some file that has a list of constants in it. Um, you know, so having th- that that combination of just some of those uh, things you can do with classes, not necessarily in the scope of true OOP. Um, along with auto loading, kind of made our our code base read better and work better. And um, I can't really think of one other like another major like change in, in PHP that that really made it um, uh, um, the P to the language itself. Now, the work that people did to get things like Gearman support um, into PHP, um, which which initially came from Dig. And um, uh, later, you know what what they've done with Lab Gearman, um, it, you know, sort of on the periphery of PHP helps a whole lot. You know, and the, the memcache libraries for PHP, um, you know that 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 environment around PHP of of oh, there's this library for this great new technology out there. Um, somebody makes an extension, and now you can you know do a pickle install blah, and you have. Um, you have that new ability um, that, you know, those things on the periphery of, of the core, um, which really I think is the strength of PHP that most people miss that, that PHP is not PHP. PHP is a glue language that's supposed to glue together a whole bunch of C. That's my philosophy. That's also Rasmus's philosophy. That if you're if you have tens of thousands of lines of PHP, and and none of that uses any extensions, you're doing it wrong. Um, and you know that that you know, 
that see that a lot. People reinvent the wheel in PHP that there may be already a better way to do that. So um, would you would you uh, on that topic? Because I actually briefly talked about that today on Twitter with somebody too about PHP's role as uh, that real that really it, it does well as a as a, a glue language. W- would you say that's like something that you wish more more PHP developers actually understood about what PHP's like what PHP was built to do and the fact that uh, that you're kind of I mean you are right that everything kind of points to that. Any new technology comes out, usually one of the first things that is available for that is a driver for it in, in P, is a library for it in PHP, right? right? Yeah. And then, yeah. and then of course, if it gets popular, then the next logical step is that someone steps up and writes an extension to make the communication even better. Is that something that you right. wish that more developers uh, understood about PHP? That this is kind of for optimal results. This is kind of the pattern that happens. Yeah, I, I yeah, I do. I, I think that I think. Yeah, I think people try to take um, patterns from other languages and apply them to PHP, and 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 don't really understand. Um, because if you look at like Perl with CPAN and Python with the support it has, and Ruby with Gems, those languages are all about build everything natively in the language. Um, you know, there's some abilities to write C extensions for every one of the languages I just mentioned, and and have them built in as well, but by and far the, the the most common practice for those other three languages I just mentioned are to write it all natively, you know, f- through CPAN or gems, or I don't know what Python's, I don't know if they have an official repository. They have a couple. Um, yeah. There's PyPy. Pi yeah, but, but, yeah, yeah, but yeah, but you're, but you're, 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 your point is well understood, I think. Well, by me. And anyway. I think that's, I think that's why pair really is kind of sort of never really become like really popular. I mean, it's popular within certain groups of people, but it's not really like the first place people look or the first thing people want to do um, because the nature of PHP in its core has always been to use an existing C library that is already out there and create bindings and expose them you know, as functions or as classes in the language. And that, that's happened to some mixed results. You know, Sometimes you get somebody who just literally ports the C library directly to PHP and just get this big list of functions. Um, and other times people do a good job of actually making it the PHP way more and, you know, making an object interface and a procedural interface and, you know, giving you some of the sort of like native array work and sort of, you know, sort of things. Yeah, um, but yeah, that is something that would, yeah. it makes me wish that, I hadn't cheated my way through my C course when I went to college and learned computer stuff. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I've, I've written, I've written a couple of C extensions, not neither one of, of really, um, got any traction uh, in Peckle, but did you um, find it challenging to write extensions? Like what, like if you were to say uh, to somebody, if they wanted to know like what level of knowledge about C, uh, do you think you would need to write an extension? I mean, I do have Sarah Goldman's, yeah, you, uh, uh, book about understanding PHP, uh, ex- sorry, extending and embedding PHP. I'm looking at it right now, which it probably needs a serious, um, update, but like, are, for most developers, I guess writing your own extension is like not within the realm of possibility. Like, what what were what's your feelings? I mean, you're you're an old C guy, so obviously you may be a little bit biased. But I mean, what do you think you would need to learn in order to actually write an extension? Well, you know, there's a there's a good there's a good um, uh, sort of demo example extension that's in the source code already that you can kind of start with, which is what I did. So it kind of gets you over sort of the initial like because. I don't know if you've ever looked much at the PHP code base or not, but uh, I try not it's, to. It's C, but it's a whole other 
level of language on top of C in that everything is a macro. I mean, the function definitions are macros. Um, the parameters you pass in are passed into the functions via macros. I mean, it's just macro after macro after macro after macro. And if you're not comfortable working with macros in C, you will quickly get lost in in, in trying to work with the PHP core and writing extensions for PHP. Um, so you have to really understand C macros and, and be able to kind of find you know where where macros are defined and, and understand what they do um, to to work with a lot of it. It just depends on the complexity of your um, of your extension. I think if, you, if you're taking an existing C library and you're just porting it, it's probably pretty simple to just do that. Um, you can see what the sort of like this is what a function definition looks like and just sort of copy it around. Um, if you're trying to do anything where you're trying to really sort of extend the core and like really like reuse parts of the core, that's when you get into um, more, you really have to kind of understand what's actually going on in the PHP core. You know, if like if you want to add new array functions that that uh, leverage existing uh, PHP functions, uh, existing code in the PHP core for manipulating arrays, you're going to have to really understand how the PHP core array code works, which is um, can be can be a little daunting, maybe. That sounds um, <laughs> yeah. There, there's a there's a common pattern in the PHP core that I've found, which is you make three functions that all do something similar, and then what happens is there's actually three functions exposed in the core, but in reality, there's only one function, and they all call that one function with different parameters, like uh, what the fuck? like my like. Like MySQL fetch a sock, fetch array, fetch row, all are just wrappers around fetch array. The fetch a sock and fetch row are just is just a wrapper around fetch array, right? That 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 that, that toggles on and off, returning the numeric ind- indexes or the or the or the the column name indexes. Um, whereas fetch array will return both if it's called without the flag. Um, I mean, it's it's a good reuse because it's basically getting data from the database and putting it into an array. Um, so why write all that connection code and all that stuff twice? Um, you know, but there, that, that's a pretty common, pretty common pattern in the, in the PHP core for, for certain things. Um, See, Ed, don't I always tell you that it's important to learn something new every single day? Now, now I've now I've learned something about the internals of PHP that that basically caused me to take the book because I was looking through Sarah's book and I have just put it right back on the shelf. Yes, that's you learned. <laughs> that's, that's today's that under, lesson. Yeah, file that under when when I become an IPO millionaire. I'll go right. back and look at uh, uh, extending and, and embedding PHP. Reasons to learn <laughs> yeah. Ruby. <laughs> yeah, uh, you know, it's, it's. I mean, there's some things that you know, like I we use the actual. Um, we use uh, well, it's not for. It's not the pair version. It's uh, it's the version that I maintain on GitHub of the PHP native uh, Gearman. It was originally the pair um, library for Gearman, and then uh, I've we've tweaked it and it's on GitHub. Um, and I, I'm actually the only main I'm, I'm actually the maintainer of it now, and I haven't pushed it to pair because I'm not a big fan of pair, but um, and. So it's on GitHub, you know. People are using it off GitHub, so I'm like, well, why bother pushing it to pair? If people are using it off GitHub, um, but um, just you know, there's there's a couple of reasons. One is um, 
I've still seen bugs from the Peckle version um, and people complaining about bugs from the Peckle version. And uh, it's tied to Lib Gearman, which is the, which is the library that is created by the actual C Gearman Damon project. So as that move, as, as that project moves, they have to move the Peckle extension as well. And there's been some problems syncing up, the Peckle extension to the right Lib Gearman version. And I just, there's a lot of inconsistency there more than I want to deal with when what I have works. Um, Cause when I started using Gearman, that one didn't exist. So um, I'm, I'm happy to keep maintaining it and see, plus I can do cool things like make stats, stats, D, stats D calls inside my Gearman um, library <laughs> to let me know what's happening uh, on my Gearman servers, how many jobs, of what kind of type and what servers are getting requested and uh, what the average latency is bet- between the time a client tries to connect to a Gearman server and the time it responds. Um, cool stats like that. Yeah. So I know I wanted to ask you about something. I, I noticed you, t- I think I saw you tweet something today talking about uh, continuous delivery. So, I mean, what do you, what's your testing do you have automated tests in place at uh, Deal at Deal News? We have some, um, yes, but it's not. It, there's not a whole lot of coverage. Um, this is a very philosophical discussion for our team. Um, there are people on the team who really firmly believe we should have more automated testing, and I tell them that if they would like to write it and get it all working, then I will not stop them and I will not revert it. And they haven't yet. So I don't know. <laughs> Is that because um, you just pile work on them so they can't do it? <laughs> no, I, I, I like to tell myself it's because the work they're doing is so awesome that they don't want to stop. Um, I don't know. You know, it's, it's um, when you are dealing with, um, I don't know. So this is a good question because I know you're a big test guy. So I, I kind of I kind of figured that this discussion would come up at some point during this call. Well, um, I mean, I mean, my feelings on uh, testing, and um, it may surprise you to know that I get philosophical about it as well. I think that you have two scenarios under which uh, sort of two uh, methods of testing that you can follow. The best way to do it is when you start is that right at the beginning when you start from scratch because that's a chance for you to decide right there at the beginning that everything that we're going to do, we're going to approach from a we need to make sure we can test this in an automated fashion. And so mm-hmm. it's very easy from a, a greenfield project to build everything that way. Now, the reality is that unless you've been at some place for 13, 14 years, you almost never get a chance to start off with a greenfield project, that you're always dealing with legacy code. And legacy code is often very, very uh, difficult to test because of the way it was built. So in those scenarios, my goal in terms of testing is to, as of a certain date, you start saying, okay, from now on, whenever we get a bug report, whenever something is broken and not working correctly – Let's put in the effort to write a test that proves that the bug exists and then fix the code until the test passes. So I think, I think when you have a, an existing application, that is a far better use of developer resources to say, we have a bug, let's prove the, let's, let's find a way to reproduce the bug and then change the code until the bug goes away. And over time, what you end up then 
is with a, a um, test suite that reflects all the edges and hidden nooks and crannies of your application. Because clearly, if you've had a long-running code base, the vast majority of it works just fine. So what you're really trying to find are now the edge cases that you didn't anticipate when you wrote a piece of code three, four, ten years ago. So, I mean, that's my feeling how I, mm -hmm. I approach testing. When you have existing apps, it's very, very difficult to go back and rip huge parts uh, of it out and make them so they're all testable. I'm, I mean, people may see me like, uh, you know, mock yelling on Twitter about cutting people for not writing tests. And that's just really, I mean, that's just me uh, really just fucking around with people. No, but, he but trying to make. But, well, <laughs> <laughs> but I do it, I do it because I want to make, I, I think that if, that it's not that hard to write tests. It's just a mental hurdle that people have to have to get over with the with they have to understand that you're you're paying a little bit now to save a, a whole lot later and over time those tests become they become your safety net so that eventually you get to a point where you're fearless about making changes because you're confident that all this infrastructure that you've put in place that goes along with testing because it has to be more than just tests it has to be a commitment to run them all the time it has to be a commitment that nothing gets done without a test so it is really a lot of uh, a lot of discipline and a lot of investment to make and i mean i'm sure there's teams that just aren't up to it that they've just for whatever reason they'll never be able to 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 summon the uh the intestinal fortitude to to make the commitment so i mean if you guys have tests that's awesome if you didn't have tests well who am i to argue because you have 14 years of positive results to show for it but i'd be willing to bet there are times where uh, having automated tests would make solving certain problems easier for you guys. And that's really how I kind of look at it. Yeah. I mean, we, we do think, I mean, we, we're, we're bigger on monitoring than we are on testing. Um, our, our front page is, is, is loaded and checked by two different one, one external and one internal um, testing service uh, every five minutes. And to verify that the page loads, loads in a timely fashion, gets the right amount of expected data. Um, <clears throat> we we have uh, blogged about our extensive um, amount of monitoring we do on PHP errors um, to make sure that uh, those things aren't uh, causing problems. And from from that perspective, the way that we write code here. Um, is if 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 a function gets unexpected input or arrives at a at a at a, way, a place where it is not uh, able to continue, is we we trigger errors or throw exceptions depending on the, we have different rules for whether or not you're going to trigger an error or you're going to throw an exception. But um, and so that that comes up in our monitoring. Um, if, if a piece of code starts throwing a lot of errors, then we'll actually um, uh, our our chat bot will tell us, and um, a third party monitoring service will tell us, and they'll start texting my phone, um, you know, pretty quickly. And um, so we we have a lot in terms of we have a lot in place in terms of monitoring for things working correctly at the application level, and don't have as much coverage for or do things test correctly at the uh, um, individual pieces of code level. Um, most, uh, a lot of bugs we find are some third party change their data. And you, uh, if you can tell me how to write a test for that, I will do it. 
<laughs> you well uh, clearly <laughs> clearly you can't so i mean uh, but uh, but again i mean what you've done in terms of having this really what you've done is that instead of your safety net being uh, an automated test suite. Your safety net is all these monitoring things that you've put into place. And I mean, I mean, for you guys, it, it it sounds to me like, based on what you're doing, you've you've come up with the perfect safety net. You have stuff that's monitoring the code, monitoring the application, but also looking at the error logs. And if if you see, uh, you know, whenever you see errors or exceptions or whatever, somebody gets notified because that's, I mean, uh, really. It's all about having – I think it's really about having a safety net in place that, that lo- looks out for the stuff – looks out for when stuff is going wrong. And in, in, in some cases, I think tons of monitoring like what you're doing is the perfect solution. And in other cases, it may be that you know, your automated test suite makes it so that you can push out 10 changes a day and, and not have to worry about it. Because really that's – in the end, I like being able to go home at night. And so anything that stands in the way – well, since I work from home, I guess it's different. But I like being able to like close the door and go upstairs and have dinner, right? So, right. so anything that any anything that you put in place that catches these problems as quickly as possible, so that you don't get that uh, two a.m. phone call that everything's gone to shit and everybody needs to wake up and fix it, um, is is a bonus in my mind. Yep, agreed. Ed, yeah. are you still awake? Uh, sort of. Um, I mean, I I think we started doing some refactors where we put in uh, more stuff, but I, I mean, it, I, it's not really a, a unit test. I think it's really a functional test against our APIs. So and since the APIs are over HTTP, I'm not sure what that makes them, but um, it makes it a test. Yeah. So we've been, so I think that's been useful. We've, uh, uh, so, and some of it's actually almost turned into test driven development uh, instead of just being sort of like subsequent, you know, or not subsequent, but probably simultaneous. Like I'm writing the tests and also writing the functionality at the same time. But um, I think it's been. I mean, I think the key thing is that one way or another, you're writing. You've got something going on there to check that what's happening is actually what should be happening is happening. So you know what? I think uh, you guys know what you guys need better than you know these two suckers here. So. Uh, <laughs> I, I'm sure it works, you know. Um, yeah, I mean, we we have you know we have unit testing. At, you can like everything else I've ever done. I didn't like anything that existed, so I wrote my own um, little doc block, you know, sort of unit test yeah. uh, code. High five for me and, on that one, baby. Yeah, and uh, nothing else. Yeah, yeah, I there. know where I know where you stand on, yeah. on, <laughs> on uh, wheel on, makers. <laughs> you keep going, <laughs> and uh, you know it. Uh, you know. It, so, you know, for, for the guys who were just clamoring, man, they just couldn't stand writing a new static class and new static functions that didn't have a test. I was like, all right, here you go. Right. And 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 um, that's been going on about a year, and I don't know how many tests we have in place, but what I know is that thing runs every night and has never failed. Nice. So, but either your code is good or you have shitty tests, one of the two. Yeah, right. Or, yeah, right. Which one is it? I don't know, right? <laughs> Um, so, uh, if it was anybody, but you, I'd say chances are it's shitty tests. (laughs) I, I usually, not all my tests. I mean, these are guys who came from environments where, which now I think if you're in a compiled world where you're compiling, um, which one of our guys was an embedded developer before he came to us. I I think that unit testing is, is very critical because you don't have the luxury like we have, which is I can monitor my application in real time with millions of people hitting it a day to see if it's working or not. Right. Um, 
if you're compiling something, especially if it's embedded and you're putting it in a chip and sticking it in, I think he was working on systems that went in the ceiling fans. Um, you yeah, don't you get don't to monitor it. You don't, you don't want really, to malfunction. Right. You can't monitor that in real time to see if it's working and then make changes to it. Right. You can't just reboot so, Apache on that to make right. all the fans work again. Yeah. You know, you know so I, I think I think that um, yeah, in those environments, it's, right. it's really critical. So if, if you're working yeah. in a code base that's you know heavily you know, sort of not real time and monitorable unit testing is, I think the only solution for doing what, you know, what is the only sort of safety net you have for knowing that, okay, the piece of code I wrote does what it's supposed to do. Um, so I found that I think you, there's, there's some stuff where you really benefit from unit tests, like stuff where it's real, you're, like things like validation stuff or things that are doing transforms that on like, I don't know, a lot of things where like I wrote a bunch of stuff to like do things like parse uh, URLs out of, uh, you know, take a piece of plain text and find URLs and, you know, turn them into links. Right. Well, there's stuff like that where there's going to be so many combinations of potential stuff that there's a good chance you're going to, you know, break something. Or, or one, you're going to run into stuff that doesn't get covered, and you, and then the the other part is that usually because you're usually doing that with regex is because they're a lot faster than trying to I don't know, tokenize it or something like that. Um, that uh, and then the regexes get so complex that you can really easily break something like and get a regression by like making one little change to try to fix some other issue to like catch oh. I would need to catch it with .ca extensions, you know, or domain, uh, you know, top-level domains and stuff like that. So I find that there's some things like that it really benefits from having a unit test suite for. And then there's other stuff that it's either impractical to or you just don't get the same results in there. Like, so you look at doing some kind of... Maybe there's testing, but it's functional testing or things like that, where it's not, there aren't easy, like really obvious input output places where you can grab that, you know, so. Yeah, yeah I mean, I mean, we, have, we have some code where the same input very well could generate different output right. one day to the next, right? So that's kind of hard. You know, you, you just really have to check that it gives you something. <laughs> um, <laughs> <Right>. Yeah. <laughs> and, 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 and in another case, uh, you may have seen me tweet a few weeks ago about, um, doing date math around daylight savings time. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, that was a that was really yeah. interesting to see you get. Through yeah. That. So so there was a unit test on that function and it passed because the unit test didn't involve daylight savings time. Oh, nice. <laughs> the unit test now the unit the, the unit test now involves daylight savings time. Yeah, right. Um, yeah, and I, I will I make th- policy yeah. that any date any date related math functions we write will involve daylight savings time. Yeah, but uh, but Ed has Ed has very clearly. Uh, illustrate the point that i that i try to make that there there is definitely stuff that can't be tested like for example tested without investing a lot of time into um the testing itself where you get into using mock objects and data fixtures and stuff and and those all have their place but again i really think that i mean people will probably be surprised to hear me say this but you really need to be pragmatic about i think the bottom line is that you need to have tests and whether that and and you can't get hung up on whether it's a unit test or a functional test or an integrational test or in the case of what Deal News is doing, you could call them monitoring tests, right? You just need to have something that's watching and letting you know when there's a problem because the as the stakes get higher and the code base gets larger, 
bugs are going to happen. It's inevitable. You just need to have something that acts as a computer is awesome at doing the same thing over and over again. I like to tell people this all the time. Yep. So get the computer watching your application and whether yeah. it's watching it by running tests or watching it through monitoring and letting you know when it spots something because it's not going to care about hurting your feelings at two in the morning when there's a problem. It's not going to say, oh, I don't want to disturb Brian because he's asleep. So, I mean, that's 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 the lesson I w would like people to learn too is that you need something watching your application to let you know when something's gone wrong. Testing yep. is one way to do it. Monitoring is is clearly the the other side of the coin. Clearly. Yeah, yeah it's it's a little more reactive and not as proactive, I will admit to that. But um, you you guys are dealing with like ever-changing content, so a lot of that stuff is very yeah. a lot of that stuff is like incredibly uh, difficult to uh to test simply because um like you said a lot of your stuff you're just a lot of your stuff is just checking to make sure that something is returning something back and right i mean you're, and, and you're counting on that your application logic is has been done in such a way that what you're getting back is actually the thing that you need and i don't think and i don't think you can really write tests for that short of just yeah i don't i don't it, like you said if you have situations where the same input is going to generate different output then you you can't test that at all because the whole concept of unit testing says if i provide a specific uh, bit of data I will get the same results back every single time. And if and if you can't do that with a component for whatever reason, then I would just say, you know what, don't bother testing that because you're not, you're not gaining anything by trying to figure out how to test a component that will give you back different results. Yep. Yep. Well, Indeed. I think our I think our unless Ed wants to talk about something else, I think we've uh, probably come to the end of our discussion. Yeah. Anything else you want to talk about, Ed? Yeah, I got to keep my mouth shut. <laughs> Why? What do you? What do you? No, I, no, no. Everything's fine. I'm just being I'm an idiot. You worried about looking like like a jackass, like I do every day on Twitter? I wouldn't worry about that at all. No, I think I've got that sealed up. Okay. All right. So I want to, Brian. Thanks so much for coming on. This was uh, I'm sure awesome. It's great. Um, yeah. uh, once you, uh, I'd like to have you back some other time. Once uh, once I get deeper into some other issues that I need to hear uh, an elder of PHP talk to me about. <laughs> So, um, so I guess we're at the end, Ed. So thanks very much to everyone who's uh, hung in for the uh, hour-plus uh, show. Um, so don't forget to check out the uh, website, devhell.info. We're also on iTunes. Uh, after uh, Ed and I argue over what to edit out of this uh, particular podcast, we'll do up some show notes, and we'll have those on the website. And again, uh, Brian, thanks so much for coming on. Well, thanks for having me. Yeah, it's great. thanks, man. So, uh, so long, everybody, and we'll see you next time on Development.